my uh, grandparents on my dad's side, they loved to play card games. And they only had one board game that I remember. And it was one that I started playing with them from earliest age all the way through college. And it was a game that, as we continue our series here today, called The Games People Play, I think probably is the most like relevant to real life. And this particular game that I play with my grandparents is called Sorry. How many ever played Sorry? Some of it uh, is called Trouble. It was, if you had the Popomatic version of it, it was called Trouble. But Sorry is this game. You have your little pegs, and you're trying to get them all the way around the board. You've got to get them in your home base. But the cool thing is if you land on somebody else's, they have to go back and start all over again. And you're supposed to say what? Sorry, but did you really mean it? No. Why? Because we're competitive. We win the game. And... You know, this is a, a fun game, and we don't really mean that we're sorry. But here's the bad part. Sometimes we do the same thing in real life. Sometimes we hold on to bitterness, and, and, and we want revenge, and, and we just have this sense of unforgiveness that's within us. See, life is tough sometimes. People mistreat us. They're harsh. They say unkind things. Sometimes just unexpected things happen. It could be, you know, accidental or it could be something just completely out of the blue uh, that happens. Sometimes it's intentional and we get hurt and we want to hold on to this, this bitterness and this, this unforgiveness. We find it hard to I'm sorry. And even more so, we find it hard to accept forgiveness. And, you know, if somebody says sorry to us, we, we just want to hold on to it. And so that's what I want to talk to you today as we continue in part three of the series. So if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 45. Today we're going to look at the story of a young guy by the name of Joseph. Genesis chapter 45. Now before we actually get to his story here, let me give you a little bit of context behind the story. In our previous series, we looked at a couple of guys, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And remember, they were sort of the, the founding fathers of the nation of Israel. And remember Jacob, he had to go off and find a wife. And remember the whole story we looked at where he like found like the woman he wanted to marry, but then he had to marry somebody else. And then he ended up sleeping with two other women. He has all these children. Remember that story? Well, he ends up having 12 children. The 11th, uh, actually he has more than 12, but 12 sons. He ends up uh, having the 11th son be his favorite, this young kid by the name of Joseph. And Joseph knew that he was daddy's boy. And he sort of rubbed it in with the rest of his brothers. And he was like this little cocky, arrogant punk, right? And he's just like, Daddy loves me more than he loves you. And, you know, I'm getting all the inheritance and all this kind of stuff. And his brothers, they just couldn't take it anymore. And so finally they're like, we're going to kill the boy. And, I mean, literally, they're about ready to kill Joseph. But finally cooler heads sort of prevail. And they decide, you know what? We can't kill him. But we will sell him into slavery. Okay, <laughs> how many of you ever felt like selling one of your siblings into slavery before, right? Yeah. yeah, you shouldn't put your hand up. They're sitting right next to you there, Jake. Come on, man. <laughs> they already knew? Okay. <laughs> and so th- this is what actually ends up happening. They sell him off to Egyptian slave traders. And so Joseph ends up down in Egypt, not at homeland. He's down in Egypt, and he's in this uh, care, so to speak, of this guy by the name of Potiphar. Well, Joseph becomes Potiphar's favorite as well. And he becomes Potiphar's right-hand man. He's like the number two guy in the whole household. Potiphar entrusts him with everything. That's not the problem. The problem is Potiphar's wife. Now, we don't know her name, but we'll call her Potiphar. 
because she has the hots for Joseph. And she wants to sleep with them. Well, Joseph, he's a man of integrity. And he says, wait a second, I, I can't do that. I mean, you're my boss's wife. I, I, I can't sleep with you. I mean, that would violate God, and it would be sinning against God, and it would be sinning against my boss here. Well, she just keeps insisting. No, 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 no. You, you need to sleep with me. You need to sleep with me. And he's like, I can't do it. So finally, she's like, all right, if you're not going to do it, I'll get back at you then. And so she cries rape. One day while he's in the room, she cries out, he's raping me, he's raping me, this, this Hebrew slave, he's, he's trying to rape me. Well, Joseph, he goes running off, but eventually he's caught, and he gets thrown into prison. Now, I want you to think about Joseph for a second. He could be very mad, he could be very, very upset about the situation that he finds himself in. He, he could be mad and have unforgiveness with with. Potiphar, because, you know, she had him thrown into, into prison. He could be mad at the legal system that, that didn't allow him to actually have a fair trial and get out of this thing. And, of course, he could be mad at his brothers, because if it wasn't for them selling him into slavery, he would have never been in Egypt. And if he was never in Egypt, he wouldn't have been under the care of Potiphar. And if he wasn't under the care of Potiphar, he would have never met Potiphar and never would have been thrown into prison. So he had every right to have unforgiveness and, and bitterness and, and want revenge. Now, I don't have time to get into the full story here this morning, but through our miraculous series of events, not only does Joseph get released from prison, but he actually becomes the number two man now in all of Egypt. Not just one person's household, but the whole land. He is the number two man to Pharaoh, who's like the, the president, basically, of Egypt. And part of the reason that Joseph became the number two man was he knew that this great famine was about to come upon the land. And he had a great idea about how to sort of get around all that, how to store up food during the good season so that they'd have food left when the famine came. And so sure enough, this great famine, Egypt has plenty of food because they had prepared for it. Joseph had this plan. All the surrounding nations, they're running out of food. But yet they find out that Egypt has food. And so they start going down and they're buying food. And eventually they would run out and they'd come back and they'd bring even more stuff and more, more stuff. And Egypt's wealth just keeps growing and growing and growing while the surrounding nation's wealth is going down. All because of Joseph. Well, eventually, Jacob and his 11 remaining sons, he thought that that Joseph had died, that his brothers had lied and said he got killed by a wild animal. Jacob says, boys, we're, we're out of food. But I hear there's food down in Egypt. You need to go down there and try to find something. And so down they go. And they come upon Joseph, who's the guy that's distributing all the food. They don't recognize that it's their brother, though. But he recognizes that it's them. And the Scripture tells us that Joseph, upon seeing his brothers, after just years and years and years of being away from his family, he just starts to cry. Later on, he sees them again. And again, he, he's just crying. Years of pain just coming out of him. Now, eventually, in one of his encounters with his brothers, he hears the one that was most responsible for him having been sold off into slavery, sincerely 
offer regret. He, he just overhears this conversation where the brother's like, man, maybe the reason all this is happening to us is because what we did to our brother many years ago. I, I regret that. And Joseph can tell that he's very, very sincere. And so he decides, okay, it's time to reveal myself to my brother. So that's where we'll pick up the story then, Genesis 45, verses 1 to 3. He's about to forgive him. He's about to reveal himself. And we read this. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. And so there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it as well. These are now tears of relief. It's tears of joy. That my past can now be my past. I'm offering forgiveness to them. I don't have to deal with that any longer. And see, I want to say the same thing to you this morning. Some of you have been hurt and hurt deeply. It could have been a family member or a friend. It could be somebody in a church. You've been hurt. And it's okay to cry about it. It's okay to have emotion about it. But what I'm here today to say to you is this. It's time to let it go. Get all those emotions out. That's fine. But it's time to actually forgive. You can't hold on to it any longer because the old saying is true. Hurt people hurt people. And so you've been hurt so long by someone or something that your hurt is now causing you to hurt others. But not the person that actually hurt you. It's actually hurting just innocent bystanders. Your spouse, your kids, your friends, your family, your coworkers. There's somebody that you're hurting that they're, why, why is this person hurting me? I didn't do anything to deserve this, and no, they didn't. It's because you're allowing all this pent-up revenge and vengeance that you want to come flooding out of you onto other people. And so we just keep recycling this pain over and over and over again. But it's just not right. We've refused to forgive others, and now others are taking friendly fire. So I want to say to you today that you have got to make the choice. The choice. Notice it's a choice to forgive. And so I want to give you three things today that will help you to do that. So, if you're taking notes this morning, here's the first one. I must choose to pray. I must choose to pray. And when I say choose to pray, I'm not saying for yourself either. I'm talking about for the person that has actually hurt you or that you've hurt. You want to pray. You know, I think the greatest example of this is Jesus. Jesus, who, when he was born, Herod, the ruler, wanted Jesus to die. He said, kill all the little children. There's not going to be another king. Jesus, the, the guy who, when he started his public ministry, he goes into his own hometown, and his own hometown rejected him. Jesus, whom had one of his twelve disciples betray him. Jesus, whom... On this day that we celebrate Palm Sunday, all the crowds were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to God in the highest. And then just a week later, turned on him and said, Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus, whom as he's being crucified, only has one of his twelve followers actually show up. Jesus, whom is the very God of the universe that is spit upon, he's mocked, he's tortured, he's beaten. He has a crown of thorns thrust on his head, he's nailed to a cross. 
Jesus, the one who had every single reason to hate people and want revenge and hold on to bitterness and, and, and just, just be mad at the world for everything that had been thrown at him. Instead, while he's hanging on the cross, says this in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus has every reason to be mad. But yet, what does he do? He prays for the very people that had hurt him. I know some of you are going, Gilbert, I, I pray for my enemies. I pray that God would strike them dead. <laughs> or at least give them a bad case of hemorrhoids or something. Right? But, but listen, that, that's, that's not the type of prayer I'm saying that you need to pray. You need to sincerely pray for those that have hurt you. See, Scripture reminds us this. God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Your job is not to get revenge. Your job is not the one to, to give vengeance. That's God's job. He will bring discipline to people that have hurt you and that have sinned against him and against others. But that's not for you to do. Your job is to pray. Now, the question you probably have is, okay, if I'm going to pray for my enemies, what exactly should I be praying for? Well, a couple things. Letter A, I should pray that God will heal their hurt. Again, hurt people hurt people. And more than likely, the reason that they hurt you is because somebody else had hurt them, and you were their friendly fire. And so you need to pray that, that God's going to heal them of that. Letter B, I need to pray for God to forgive them. If they're not a follower of Jesus, the thing that they need most is a relationship with Him. They need their sins forgiven. They need to understand the good news of what we're celebrating this entire week. That God Himself came to this earth and the person that we call Jesus and Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life and then He died on the cross shedding His blood so that all of our sins could be forgiven. And He offers that forgiveness to anybody and everybody who asks for it. And maybe the reason that they hurt you is that they're still living by the world's standards. They're still living by their sinful nature. And so you need to pray and say, God, if they don't yet have a relationship with you, please reveal yourself to them. Open their eyes to the gospel truth. And see, once they become a follower of Jesus and he forgives them, they're going to start to recognize some of the wrongs that they've done to others. And it's then and only then that they'll come and, and truly ask for your forgiveness. And say, look, here's who I used to be, and I did some rotten things, including some rotten things to you. But now I'm a follower of Jesus. Will, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me in the same way that I've been forgiven? And then you can let go of all that. Let's pray that God will bless their lives. Well, this is a hard one, isn't it? That God bless the life of my enemy, bless the life of this person that's hurt me so bad. It's hard to do, but it's very big. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who hurt you. You have got to pray Not necessarily it's going to change them. It will change you. See, you cannot sincerely pray for somebody else and it not change you. It's going to change you. Because you've been trying to hold on to all this stuff but now, 
you're sincerely praying for their forgiveness, you're sincerely praying for them to be blessed, it's going to change you. Forget the man behind the curtain. Forget whatever Bill's doing right now. It probably has something to do with me, but forget him, all right? Don't let whatever's happening distract you. This is so important. You have got to pray for those that have hurt you. Pray that they be blessed. Am I changing a battery? That's what I figured. All right. Talk amongst yourselves. Hmm. I'm solid battery. I can change it, but I'm solid. Check, check, check. How's that? Better? It's just not close enough. Check, check, check. You good? All right. Number two, I must choose to forgive. So first of all, we said that we we have to pray. Number two, I must choose to forgive. You're going, you know, Gilbert, what's the big deal if I hold on to a grudge? What's the big deal if I have unforgiveness in my heart? It makes me feel better. But look at what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 14 to 15. If you forgive others for the wrongs that they do to you, your Father in heaven will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Don't gloss over this verse here. Let me say the second part of it there again. If you don't forgive others, God is not going to forgive you of your sins. This is a big eye-opener. For those of you that went to college, do you remember how you had like required courses and you had elective courses? And the elective courses were the fun things, you know, because you got to choose to do those things. I usually chose things like gym and art and, you know, things like that. E- easy three Then you had your required courses. You had to do those things. And what you need to understand about Christianity is that forgiveness is a part of the required curriculum. You don't get to call yourself a Christian and say, I'm choosing not to forgive somebody else that's hurt me. Why? Because Jesus says, if you choose to not forgive them, then I'm going to choose not to forgive you. And obviously that has eternal consequences. Now, I know some of you are going, okay, I'll choose to forgive them, but they only get one shot. One chance, that's it. You know, if they hurt me again, that's it. I've learned my lesson. I'm out of there. I'm done. I'm out of the marriage. I'm out of the relationship. I'm out of the church. I'm out of wherever. It's over. One shot. But again, that's not biblical either. Jesus says, no, you've got to keep on forgiving over and over and over again. In fact, look at what he tells Peter, because Peter had a very similar question to this. In Matthew 18, 21 to 22. It says, then Peter came to him and he asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. See, Peter thought he was being very generous. He thought, all right, I'm, I'm going I'm to kiss up the Jesus here. Jesus, if I forgave someone seven times, I mean, <laughs> look at me, dude. I mean, that'd be really good, right? Seven times forgiving somebody. 
He's like, no, 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 no. It's got to be more than that. It's got to be infinite. It's endless. You just keep on forgiving over and over and over and over again. Why? Because God has chosen to forgive you over and over and over and over again. Right? Isn't that true in your life? Don't you continue to do things that aren't pleasing to God, but yet God continues to forgive you. And so if God's willing to do that for you, you should be willing to do that exact same thing for other people. So my question to you this morning is this. Who is it that you haven't forgiven? Who is it? Is it your spouse? Your kids? Your your parents? Another relative? A friend? Fellow church member? Who is it that you haven't forgiven? That you've been holding on to this for for a really long time. And when I say not forgiven, I'm not talking about an argument with your kids on the way to church this morning and you haven't forgiven them yet. I'm talking about like long-term, years, maybe even decades that you've been holding on to something and you've been harboring this bitterness and this unforgiveness. Who is it? Because what I want you to do is resolve right now to do something about it. Do something about it. You're going, but I don't know what I would do. How do I even begin to forgive somebody that's hurt me that bad? After what they did to me, after what they did to my family, what they did to my kids, how could I possibly ever do that? Well, let me give you a couple of tips. Let me just say that the the key is this. I put it there on your outline. I must focus on how much God has forgiven me. Again, none of us are perfect, but yet God keeps on forgiving us over and over and over again. Colossians 3.13, the Apostle Paul says this, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive just as the Lord forgave you. You know, as a pastor, one of the areas as I'm doing counseling that I see this so often, this whole thing of unforgiveness, is in marriages. That something has happened and, and just there's this spirit of unforgiveness. As the years keep going on, it just keeps growing deeper and deeper and deeper and the resentment and the rage and the bitterness. And that's what eventually leads to divorce. It's because you haven't chosen to forgive. Heard a story one time. There was a couple, they were sort of fighting amongst themselves and they're like, okay, we've just got to, we've got to work this out. We've got to figure out what's going on in our marriage. And so they said, here's what we're going to do. We're each going to put a box up on the mantle by the fireplace. And all week long, every single time the other person hurts us, we're going to write it down on a slip of paper. And we're going to put it in the box. And once per week, we're going to gather together. We're going to take the boxes down off the mantle. We're going to open it up. And one by one, we'll take out the slips of paper and we'll tell each other what they did wrong and we'll work out. We'll figure out what we need to do. And so Friday rolls around. It's time to bring the boxes down off the fireplace. And the wife is like, all right, this, this is great. This, I, I'm, finally, I'm going to be able to tell them all the things that tick me off. And so she gets the box down. It's overflowing with slips of paper. She pulls out the first one. She's like, you don't put the toilet seat down. You need to put the toilet seat down. And she's like, your dirty underwear laying all around. You need to put it in the hamper. She throws that one. And she's like, you know, you, know, you, you were late coming home. And you didn't call and let me know why you were going to be waiting. And she just keeps going through this whole box, just slip after slip after slip, just completely humiliating her husband, telling him all the things wrong. He takes his box down, and it's full of paper as well. 
He takes out the first one, and he reads what he wrote down on it, and it says, I forgive you. And he takes out the second one, and it says, I forgive you. He takes out the third one, I forgive you. Every single slip in that box, he had written the words, I forgive you. See, we have a choice to make when it comes to our relationships, whether it's a married relationship or any relationship. Are we going to choose to forgive or not? Are we just going to keep throwing things back in people's faces over and over and over again? You want to know the, the pain of unforgiveness? Just talk to somebody that's been in a divorce, that's gone through it. They can tell you what pain is. You know what, I hope that Exponential is a place that, for those of you that maybe have experienced the pain of a divorce, that you find it a safe place to be able to come get some of those, those hurts healed. But I also want Exponential to be a place where we can learn and not have to repeat those mistakes over and over and over again. And for those of us that are married, we've never been divorced, that we can avoid that type of pain. And that today we can say, you know what? I'm going to choose to forgive every single time. Whether it's my spouse or somebody else, I'm going to choose to forgive. I'm going to be a person that just walks with a spirit of forgiveness. So again, that is the, the key. Just remember how much God has forgiven you. And then you forgive others. In the same way. You're not going to feel like it, but it is your choice. All right, so far we said that you need to pray for those that have hurt you. We've said that you need to forgive them. And then number three, I must choose to bless those who have hurt me. Now that's much easier said than done. That God bless those who have hurt me. Read again, it's scriptural. Romans 12, 19 to 21 says, do not take revenge. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then in Luke 6, 27 to 28, Jesus says this, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Bless those who hurt you and pray for those that mistreat you. Listen, you you can't do that on your own. You can't do that with the help of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. But yet that's exactly what you've been called to do. You know, I can think of no greater example of that than something that happened about eight and a half years ago now, just up the road, uh, what, Lancaster's 30, 40 minutes away. If you remember, a gunman went into an Amish school and he shot five young girls right there at the school and killed them. And others were injured and wounded. And then he turned the gun on himself. Now, unfortunately, in our society in the past eight and a half years, school shootings have become sort of commonplace. It's like it doesn't even shock you anymore when you hear it. It's still sad, but it's like, okay, it's another school shooting. But what was shocking about this whole situation was how they dealt with it. And so I want you to take a look at this video to see what happened. As the nation marks the anniversary this week of the Newtown, Connecticut school shooting, families of some of the 26 who were killed attended a vigil today at the National Cathedral in Washington. Prayers were offered for all of the victims of gun violence in this country. 
and that would include the five young Amish girls who were killed and five who were wounded just a few years ago in south-central Pennsylvania. Jeff Glor tells us that out of the horror of that school shooting has come a lesson in forgiveness. It's been seven years since Terry Roberts' life changed forever. In October 2006, her 32-year-old son Charlie walked into an Amish school in Lancaster County and shot 10 young girls before killing himself. I heard the sirens and saw helicopters. Then the phone was ringing and it was my husband. And he said, I need you to come to Charlie's house right away. And I got out of the car and I looked at my husband and these sunken eyes just saying, it was Charlie. That could not be. And yet it truly was. It was true. It was our son. Robert's initial reaction was that she had to move away. But the Amish came to her house the night of the shooting to say they wanted her to stay. Some of the victim's families attended her son's funeral. There are not words to describe how that made us feel that day. And then for the mother and father that had lost not just one, but two daughters at the hand of our son to come up and be the first ones to greet us. Wow, is there anything in this life we shouldn't forgive? Terry Roberts now shares this message with those who've experienced trauma. And every Thursday, she cares for the most seriously wounded survivor of the shooting, now 13. It's against Amish beliefs to appear on camera, so Donald Craighill often speaks on their behalf. You have this mother who raised a son that did this horrific damage to this young woman. And the mother has the courage and the spiritual fortitude to come back and to care for this uh, young woman. And the parents of the young woman welcome her into their home. It's a powerful, powerful story. Those families in Newtown who may still have understandably conflicted feelings now still less than a year later, what do you, what do you say to them? Ask God to provide new things in your lives new things to focus on and that doesn't take the place of what is lost but it can give us a hope and a future a future made possible for terry roberts because of forgiveness jeff glor cbs news lancaster county pennsylvania what an incredible demonstration of what forgiveness should look like in the midst of all the hurt and the pain and the tragedy, on the other side was healing and grace and forgiveness. What's on the other side of your pain? What's on the other side for you? It's okay to cry. It's okay to, to let out all the emotions that have been pent up for so long. And really, you need to mourn the, the years maybe that you've lost because of holding on to all of it. But you got to let it go. you got to get to the other side. For Joseph, this young man who could have had all this unforgiveness pent up in him, the other side for him was the birth of the nation of Israel. Out of his forgiveness, one day the nation started, and then one day in that nation a little boy was born. His name was Jesus. And Jesus came so that we could have the ultimate forgiveness, the forgiveness of our sins, so that we might live forever. 
I'll finish Joseph's story with two scriptures. In Genesis 45, chapter 1, and then verses 14 and 15. It says, so then it was not about, so then it was not you who sent me here, but it was God. And then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all of his brothers and he wept over them. Later then, he reassures them that you are indeed forgiven. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, we read this. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. That's where you need to in your life right now with whoever it is that's hurt you. That maybe you intended to harm me, but I'm going to take it and allow God to get me to the upside. And I'm going to offer forgiveness. I'm going to accept forgiveness. I'm not going to hold on to the hurt any longer. I'm going to accept your grace, God, in my life. Now I'm going to extend it to other people. Join me in prayer here this morning. Father, we thank you that because of your love for us and your forgiveness of us, we can now forgive others. But Lord, it's a choice. And so help us to make that hard choice. Help us to choose to forgive those who have hurt us. Help us not to hold on any longer bitterness and the feelings of revenge that we have to the spirit of unforgiveness. Lord, help us to forgive in the same way that you've forgiven us. Lord, you forgave us by coming to the earth, dying on the cross. Lord, we're going to celebrate this week, that very thing. That you entered in to Jerusalem on a donkey. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. And people shouted praises to your name. But Lord, in a very short time, they turned their backs on you and shouted out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Lord, if we're being honest, that's us. Sometimes we praise you and sometimes through our words and through our actions what we're really saying is put him on the cross again and crucify him. Lord, we ask for forgiveness of you. We ask that we would live more according to your spirit than we would according to our flesh. And so Lord, we want to take some time this morning just to recommit ourselves to you. Church, the way we're going to do that is through something that Jesus instituted just a few days before he was killed there on that cross. And that is he instructed his followers in how to remember him. And so we're going to celebrate communion here this morning. And we're going to just vow to God our commitment to him and our commitment to living like him, including in this whole area of forgiveness.
And so uh, right now you're going to uh, rise to your feet, everyone. And the ushers are going to dismiss you row by row from over on my right to be your left. Steve will dismiss you. Go around, get your elements, and then you'll come all the way around and come back to your row the other way. So go ahead, Steve, dismiss.